Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, episode 33, recorded Sunday, May 24th, 2020. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hello again, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Cinturpino. Well, happy Memorial Day, everyone. They say this is the official start of summer, and our weather here in Connecticut has really gotten nice. We've opened the shop back up, and now we're going to see how things progress. It has been interesting to watch the world come alive outside. When this whole thing started, Don and I took to walking around our neighborhood since the gyms closed. From those darker, colder, windier days with the drab landscapes, we've seen the metamorphosis to all the green leaves and colorful spring flowers. It feels good to be back. On today's show, I want to cover a little bit about underwater communications, the latest World Economic Forum report on effective energy transition, and we'll have another installment of Sea Hunt, It's Still Alive. One of the first things we realize as new scuba divers is that we must have an ability to communicate underwater. Talking to your buddy or instructor doesn't work. We rely on hand signals, slates, and wet notes to convey information, answer questions, or signal that we have a problem or an issue. At night, we can even use our lights to communicate. Most of the signals are standard, but sometimes you might get an unusual signal, especially if you're frustrating your buddy. I know, I've gotten them. While not mainstream for most recreational divers, There are options out there for voice communication. So let's talk a little bit about them. In the first ever episode of Sea Hunt, Mike Nelson is talking to the boat from 60 feet below using a type of underwater telephone with a throat mic. Kind of a little like uh, what you see on those World War II movies on the bombers where the pilot talks to the bombardier. We've come a long way since then. Voice communications for recreational scuba falls into the wireless type. Hardwire communications are primarily reserved for commercial divers and public safety type or military. As divers, we don't want to be tethered. So as I I was doing some research for this segment, I came across an article from X-Ray Magazine on underwater communications. Looking back, the author talked a little bit about the very early wireless communication systems for scuba called Wetphone from a company named Soundware Systems, and that was built in the 1970s. You can even buy one on eBay today for about $1,200. 
the technology wasn't very good and wouldn't be until the uh, 1980s. They had to move from the AM radio technology to a more sophisticated single sideband modulation. Today, underwater wireless communication systems use ultrasound, and that operates in the range of 25 to 33 kilohertz. You'll also hear them called half-duplex, and that means only one person can talk at a time on a given frequency. So let's talk a little bit about what you'll need if you're going to take the plunge into underwater voice communications. First, you'll need a full face mask. There are quite a few out there, like the Interspiro Aga, the OTS Guardian, a Kirby Morgan MK48, an OTS Spectrum, or the Ocean Reef G-Diver. I'm not going to go into the details on the mask right now. Rather, I want to talk about the several options you can choose from. The Ocean Reef Group has a couple of systems out there. One of them is called the GSM G-Diver, and then another company that offers a wireless, un, wireless underwater communication unit is DiveLink. Theirs is just called COMFF. The company that I'm most familiar with is OTS and their buddy phone, the D2. The D2. All have surface units that also allow you to communicate with the divers. Now these are small communication units and they operate on about a half a watt power and use either a 9 volt battery or you can have a rechargeable battery like in the D-Link or the Dive-Link. With these units you can expect to get a range of between 150 and 1500 feet and they all caveat that the range are dependent on the sea conditions and the noise. The other thing that you'll have to consider is the cost. They aren't inexpensive. If you don't have a full face mask already, you can expect to invest between $1,500 and $2,000 or more. And then remember, you have to have somebody to talk to. So now, if you and your buddy are geared up for underwater voice communications, you're not going to have to interpret those unusual hand signals when you frustrate them. You'll hear it loud and clear. A couple of weeks ago, I was watching one of the national news networks and saw a scroll along the bottom that the United States ranked 32nd globally on fostering effective energy transition. So I wanted to find a little bit more about that. 32nd doesn't sound like a good number. The Insight Report is from the World Economic Forum, whose tagline is Committed to Improving the State of the World. I guess they have a committee on shaping the future of energy and materials and have been producing this report since 2015. The report is 52 pages long, I download it, and it is packed with information, data, and charts, and is very interesting. It takes some time to digest. This report is an annual benchmark of energy systems across countries, measuring their transition, speed, and direction. 
Overall, the report says progress is slower than is needed to achieve the Paris Accord targets, but significant progress is being made globally. That's good. The rankings are based on something called the Energy Transition Index, or ETI. And the ETI is broken down into two sections. One, the current energy system performance of the country, and the enabling environment in that country for energy transition. Some of the basic statistics included in the report are that it covers 115 countries, and that accounts for 90% of the global population, 93% of global energy, and 98% of the global GDP. Pretty extensive. Table 1 ranks all the countries. Sweden is number 1, and it's followed by Switzerland, Finland, and Denmark. There are two countries from the G20 in the top 10, and they are the United Kingdom at number 7 and France at number 8. The report says 94 countries have improved their ETI in the last six years. Sadly, the United States is not one of them. I went back to the 2019 report and saw that the U.S. ranked 27 back then, so we're dropping. While our score for current energy system performance stayed flat, we dropped three points for our enabling environment for energy transition. Our political climate has direct impacts on our actual environment. Our second straight year of decline after three previous years of a positive direction. So who improved in 2020? Well, those were Argentina, Bulgaria, China, the Czech Republic, Dominican Republic, India, Ireland, Italy, the Slovak Republic, Sri Lanka, and Ukraine. Even though India and China are improving, they are still pretty low at 74 and 78. They specifically called out Brazil, Canada, Iran, and the USA as being stagnant or declining. Another interesting finding is that energy importing countries are improving while energy exporting countries are falling behind. I want to take a couple of minutes to discuss a couple of items they outlined as the imperatives for energy transition. The first one is regulation and political commitment. Many countries have adopted net zero emission goals. Unfortunately, the largest energy consumers or emitters of greenhouse gas have not, and they include Australia, Brazil, China, India, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and the U.S., Another imperative is capital investment. Unfortunately, this is likely to slow given the current COVID-19 crisis. To wrap this up, please consider going out to the World Economic Forum website, and there you can download the full report. It really has a lot to offer. Hopefully, the United States will start going in the right direction again. Being number one on this list is something I think that we can all be very proud of.
It's time for another installment of Sea Hunt, It's Still Alive. And today, we're going to take you back to Season 3, Episode 31. And the show is titled Changing Patterns, and it premiered on August 6th, 1960. The episode starts out with Mike supervising a salvage operation on the river, and he has a hard hat diver on the bottom. The diver gets into trouble. Mike dives down and saves him. Back on deck, Mike tells us this is just a prelude to the problems he'll face in this episode. For this week's show, Mike is visiting his old instructor, Ben Crane. Ben is a hard hat diver who is struggling to get jobs and is very despondent. We're introduced to Ben's daughter, Betty, and to his protege, Bobby O'Mara. So they're talking about Ben starting a salvage operation. Ben doesn't want to do that. And as they're talking, a big storm blows up. Now, they show some pictures. It looks like the, the storm is from Nassau. They turn on the radio, and they're listening to the weather forecast, and they hear what's going on, and they hear that a freighter has sunk off a fallow point. And the freighter is captained by one of Ben's friends, Yuli Olofsson. So now they're getting on the phone, frantically trying to get information about Yuli and the freighter. And then who walks in? But Yuli, saying that he got all his men off the ship, but all he can think about right now is salvaging the freighter. And he wants Ben to do the work. Now we find out that Fallow Point is a bad place for hard hat diving. Too much current, but a skin diver might be able to do it. So Mike agrees to take a day to teach Ben how to scuba dive. The underwater scenes show Ben doing his regulator and mask skills, and they have a great first dive. Mike says Ben took to it very easily. On the second dive, though, they try to do some work to replicate what they're going to do for salvage operations. Well, Ben has a problem. Mike finds him on the bottom, thrashing around. Mike gets to him to the surface, and it turns out Ben has an ear problem. Loss of equilibrium. Mike tells Ben, no skin diving for him. Well, that's not going to stop Ben. Early the next morning, Ben grabs his hard hat, and he calls Bobby on the phone and tells him to meet him with all the gear in the truck, and then he gets Yuli to have a boat ready. Now, as they are uh, heading out to the boat, Bobby gets cold feet because he thinks it's too dangerous, too much current. Ben kicks him out of the truck and proceeds to the boat. In the next scene, we see Ben and Yuli on the boat deck, and Ben is rigging up and tells Yuli what to do. Not sure if Yuli has ever tendered before. Then we see Bobby running to the phone booth to call Mike and Betty. Mike springs into action. Now we see Ben heading down to the wreck, and he's struggling with the current. His line snares a ladder on the wreck, and as he pulls it, the ladder collapses on him. He's trapped. Mike, Betty, and Bobby race to Yuli's boat. Mike gets on all his gear. He throws a set of doubles over his head, and Giant strides in. He quickly finds Ben and taps him on the helmet with his trusty Vulcan dive knife. No response. Ben's air hose is crushed, and Mike needs to free it. 
Well, Mike finds it, pulls the pipe off, and he can see now that Ben has air and is responsive. Once freed from debris, Mike gets Ben safely on the boat. Ben realizes that his diving days are over. But wait, there's more. Yuli is on the phone with the boat's owner, Mr. Shaughnessy. Ben says to tell, you, to tell him that he can't do the job. Mike grabs the phone and says he's Bobby O'Mara, and he is the secretary of the Ben Crane Salvage Company, and that they can raise the shit. They just need skin divers to do it, and Mike is going to get them all the names they need. So that's Changing Patterns from 1960. You might recognize Ben Crane. He's played by John Morley, who was in The Godfather, and he was the movie executive who owned the horse. Another interesting fact is that this episode was remade in Sea Hunt 1987 that starred Ron Ely. I can't get my hands on any of those episodes. Well, that's it for today's installment of Sea Hunt. It's still alive. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Thanks for listening. If you like what I'm doing here, please consider subscribing on your favorite podcast app. And spread the word to your family and friends who might find what I talk about here interesting. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another episode of Scuba Shack Radio. Take care, everyone. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.